Hi Chris, how are you? Good evening Rod, I am well. And here we are on the 20th of November. I know, this, this Christmas tree is beginning to appear. Uh, I couldn't possibly comment, but I do have a 12 year old son who has put up the outdoor lights already because he is mad on it. Um, and he did it all on his own. He's tall enough now to get on the stepladder and reach the guttering and hang the lights. And so he did it all. So I can't really complain he's done it, but it is a bit early for me. But he's happy and he's 12, so I might as well enjoy it while he's young. If he's 12, I'll let him get away with that. But somebody in, in work went and put a Christmas tree up earlier in the week and I just said, no, you'll put that back. Yeah, I have this debate with the lady I work with and I always say it's the 1st of December at the, at the earliest um, but I'm sure she try and smuggle some stuff in this week. I think that's fair. And I cut you off saying the episode number. What episode are we? It's episode 95. So we're only five away from the big 100, which will be around just after Christmas, I'm guessing. It will be just after Christmas. And we're not a million miles away for having two years. Yeah, I guess so, because we started just after Christmas, didn't we? We did. 108, I guess, will be two years, because we haven't missed a week yet. Have we not? Mental. No. I know. Impressive. Should we do some follow-up? Yeah, let's go into follow-up then. This is all about me this week, and I've indulged or begun, because it's certainly not finished, a flight of madness. A couple of weeks back, I was on AliExpress looking at 2.5 gigabit Ethernet switches and all sorts of things like this, and was mysteriously quiet last week. Anyway, this week I've started the process. So let me talk you through my thinking here. I thought my Synology NAS was a 2.5 gigabit Ethernet NAS. This will relate to networking in a minute. Turns out it's not. And turns out, even if you go for the big Synology NAS, the £900 one without drives, that does eight drives, I think, and has an Intel whatever i5 chip in it and can do all manner of fancy things, still only has one one gigabyte Ethernet. And I don't think that's very good. Now, that's mad, isn't it? Because that really scales up then from their cheapest chips, ones at around £150, all the way up then to their £900 beast. They've all got one gigabit. One one gigabit port. One one gigabyte port. And... I don't really think that's good enough when hard disks are as fast as they are now and networks are as fast as they are now and, and, and. Anyway, it's not to knock the device. I love my Synology NAS. You and I write our show notes on it every week and it just takes a licking and keeps on ticking. I have 18 terabytes of storage in it. I've only used, I looked, 6.5 terabytes of storage, so I've got plenty of room to grow. It has four enterprise-level hard disks in it. It's, it's a really good thing. You know, I really like it. But this lack of speed has begun to irk me. Is speed that bad in your house? Not at all. But now I know I can get faster, I've become obsessed. And it's the it's the nerd or the geek in me, whatever you want to say. It's become a problem for me. You were like me when I found out I could get gigabit internet. I was like, I've got to have it. I don't know if I need it, but I'm going to get it anyway. So I do understand it. And I was saying to you just before we started, I can now get 1.6 gigabit internet. And I was just like, I would kind of want it, but my hardware is not up to it, which is why I'm interested in what you're doing. But equally... I never find my internet slow anyway, so, but I just kind of want it because I can have it. Totally. And it's not just about internet for me. I shunt files around the house. I copy things back and forth. I run my VMware, well, my Proxmox virtualization server, which has got virtual machines on it. And if I had faster internet, I could store disks, you know, over on the NAS and I could do bits and pieces. And, you know, we can do Docker containers with live file systems here and there. So... For me, I think I can justify having faster network access around the house a little bit. So that's part of it. The real problem, though, is my Unify network is all one gig. Unless you go up to the proper enterprise stuff where it's 10 gig, they don't have that halfway house of two and a half gig. So 
the route I started on with the the, the Chinese website, the, the name of which has left me, uh, AliExpress, I want to say. Alibaba? Possibly. AliExpress. Alibaba, one of those. Anyway, they have these two and a half gig switches. And the things that's really attractive for them is you it will work over Cat5e, which is a the older cabling standard. So as an experiment at the weekend, I bought myself, not one of the switches from there, I found one on Amazon, which will be linked in the show notes as Switch. And it's a brand I've never heard of. It's a Vimin 6 port, 2.5 gig unmanaged network switch. So that's great. I don't want a managed one. I don't need to run VLANs through this or anything. I'm going to hang it directly off one port. Ultimately, I'll actually hang it off one of the SFP, one of the faster ports inside of my Unify stuff. So I won't lose any of those four 2.5 gig ports on it, the RJ45 ones. So as a curiosity, I thought, I wonder if I even get 2.5 gig speed. So I bought this Vimin thing for £53, which is frankly amazing for four two and a half gig ethernet ports and two 10 gig sfp ports put that in bought a two and a half gig ethernet card for my pc and and my feet and at the weekend i sent you a screenshot of i have successfully connected over 10 year old cable at this point at two and a half gigs so i've two and a half times from this pc at least back to this switch than i had before for doing almost nothing for spending 60 odd quid that's not bad is it and it does make sense what you're doing because I think actually I probably wouldn't buy any new equipment that isn't over one gigabit. I think if I was going to buy a Synology like you've just said, which I have been flirting with the idea of, um, because actually it would be nice to get that upgrade in. It's going to take me a little while. I don't need it today, but it's something I'd like to work my way around to over a period of time, so I can see why you've you've started. And it's not crazy money, like you say. It's not, but it's led me down a path because. As I said, the real problem here is my Synology is only a one gigabit thing. So actually what I need to do is move that Synology from being the active thing within my network that I copy everything to, my media library, my virtual machine images and all that kind of stuff, ISO images for for new virtual machine things, and make it what it's really meant to be, which is a backup location. So that Synology has the drives in it. They're a RAID. RAID is not a backup, but attached to the RAID. On As I've said before, I cycle between a couple of hard disks of 18 terabyte hard disks to back up to. So that is a backup, but the RAID's not bad. So I've got an intermediate thing. So what I'm thinking of doing is using an old computer that I've got in the house, which is festooned with SATA ports, and turning it into an actual fast 2.5 gig NAS. So that's my plan, is I will repurpose an old machine that's got lots of space for drives in it, lots of SATA things, better space for memory. I'm going to put something like TrueNAS on it, which is an open source-ish piece of software that will give you NFS or Samba storage or, or whatever else you want that crucially will be full of SSDs, which is why there's an SSD listed on this uh, my Amazon links as well, because you can buy, pick up a four terabyte crucial drive for 150 quid. So if I put four four terabyte drives in there, put them in a RAID 5 configuration. I'm going to match the storage I've got now easily. And I think that'll work quite well. Why wouldn't you just take the drives out of your Synology? Because they're spinning metal. They're spinning rust. They're not SSDs. Uh, okay, so you want, you might as well modernize it and go quicker because you're now going to have a quicker network. Exactly. And the Synology can then just be what it's meant to be, which is a backup of that primary NAS. Yeah, no, that does make sense. It's quite a path you're going to go on, though. Well, you know, I think life is nothing without adventure. It's probably quite a geeky and boring adventure to many, and I'm sorry if I've lost anyone along the way. But you can see a point here, yeah? I'm not just going mad. No, I can't, I can't see the point. And like I say, when I when I could get faster internet, I did. I've put Eero 6 Pros everywhere because I had an opportunity to do it. I've etherneted them in, so you get a 
better backhaul between all the the routers, the the routers, the the wireless access points. So I can see why you're doing it. And like I say, you're even making me think when I buy a new Synology, I should get one with a faster port on it. And then I should slowly probably do what you're doing. And maybe mine will start internally. You know, I could do it between my shed and the house, you know, upgrade that to 2.5 gigabits. Because if I think if I bought Synology, I possibly would put it down here in the shed. It's outside the house. If my house burnt down, everything else would be stored down here. It just gives us a very small amount of physical separation. I think... Synology are great. I love the company to bits. I'd probably buy another one. But this one gigabit port thing has bothered me. QNAP do two and a half gig Ethernet ports on their on their NASs, so that might be worth a thought as well. And if you remind me before the end of the show, I'll post you a link to a, a British guy who rather crazily made his own NAS, sourced the motherboard, got the network chip, uh, got the network cards and all this kind of stuff and built one custom himself. And it's quite a cool thing. I'm not suggesting you do it, but it's a really cool thing to have done. Yeah, I can see the appeal. I'm just quite a lazy IT person. I think I just like to buy some off the shelf, plug it in, and then be using it five minutes later. So, yeah, I'm a bit different, I guess. That's fine. Horses for courses. Anyway, a lot of that, you asked me the question before the show, which prompted this, is Black Friday prices. So I'm trying to save a bit of money here and there by doing these kinds of things. And the only other thing I've bought so far for Black Friday, considering it's not Black Friday yet, or even Cyber Monday, is a USB-C flash drive that's also USB-A. So you can open it out one side and it's USB-C. You can flip it out the other way and it's USB-A. Potentially useful in this sort of dongle town life that we're sort of still partially living in. 128 gig and it was 17 quid or something like that. So um, I'm quite pleased with that too, I think. Do you know what? I've got that exact same thumb drive. Probably paid way more than that for it. Bought it a number of years ago. It actually was super useful just in this transition, especially if you need like a boot drive. Like I used to use it to install Windows and various other OSs. So now I can see why you've purchased it. £11.98 is what it cost. Yes, yeah, nothing is it for something like this. Very useful. Uh, that's all the follow-up I've got. Have you got any? No, I've not really bought anything. So all quiet here. However, we are only at the start of Black Friday week. So we'll see how it pans out. So give me a couple of weeks to see how this all goes and I'll report back on how my transition is progressing, if it's progressing. Yeah, no, I do. Like I say, I'm interested and I'm tentatively thinking I might try and do it for my backbone and then at some point I will then do the the internet and then the the wireless access points. But I'm going to wait for Amazon to have an amazing Black Friday sale, maybe in a year's time, because their access points are expensive and I've got about five in, in my building, so... It's, it's pricey to replace all, all of them. No, I think that's fair. And it's a it's a lot to think about, really, isn't it? For really, who's going to notice any of these upgrades and changes other than you? Really? You know, one of these things, potentially? So we'll see. Yeah, no, we'll see. And I'm interested to see how your switches go, because I do think they look quite cool switches for, for the money involved. I think they look awesome. Yeah, I wish Unify, my bigger provider, Ubiquiti, did two and a half gig switches because without hesitation, even if it was 300 quid, I'd have got another Unify switch to allow this to happen. It it pains me that they haven't gone to this two and a half gig thing. Their enterprise network equipment, really. So I do understand why they haven't. But as you look at devices coming out, two and a half gig and 10 gig Ethernet ports are beginning to appear in lots of things. The iMac Pro that's on my left here has a 10 gig Ethernet port in it. which is mad so why if apple can do it in that device which is what 2017 2018 something like whatever it's it's a good five years ago now anyway why are you know why is everything else why is the new mac studio Uh, maybe it does have a two and a half gig ethernet port anyway 
The Mac Mini, which is quite a highly spec one that I've got downstairs, doesn't. We're back to one gig. So I'm looking around the place going, there's bits I can upgrade here. There's things that will benefit from this faster throughput. Copying files, doing this, that, and the other thing. So it's just, it's time for an upgrade. That's what it is. Yeah, now I can understand that. So it was released, the iMac Pro, in 2017. Sorry, I was just looking it up. So 2017, the iMac Pro came out. Now I can see why you do it. And like I say, I'm, I'm tentatively there with you. I think I'm just... I probably need a longer run up before I do it. I think that's fair enough. You know, you'll you'll let me take the pain first, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah, and give me a review, point out what the right switches are to buy. And like I said, I think I'd be waiting for Eero to bring out their Eero seven APs. I know they brought out one really big, like the professional one, which is overkill for me, but they will do a more consumer based version and I'll move to that at some point. Real time follow up, Mac Studio, ten gigabyte Ethernet. 1 gigabit Ethernet, 2.5 gigabit Ethernet, and 5 gigabit Ethernet, all using RJ45. That's pretty cool. Well done, Apple. You are supporting on that. Where's the Ethernet port on our laptops, you cowards? Yeah, there is lack of that, and we have got links. Maybe I'll put one in. I was looking at USB-C to 2.5 gigabit Ethernet port, and it's only like £20 or something on, on Black Friday, so, so this stuff is really coming down. Fair enough. Should we do some news? Yeah, let's get into the news. We should do some news. So the first link I've posted more for interest, there's a real, I think I've talked about this before, I wouldn't call it a war, but there's a real delineation between iTunes users and Spotify users. And, you know, we all prefer some things about the service. I still lament the fact that I don't think iTunes is, or Apple Music as I should be calling it, discoverability is as good as Spotify's. But both of them claim to pay artists well, you know, there's all that. Some seem to do a better job than others. This was just a little story that came out in Digital Music News over the weekend about who actually Spotify is going to stop paying for its lowest played tracks to artists. And I think this is just, they don't pay a lot anyway. They're going to pay nothing to them now? I think this is awful. I'd agree with that. I think this is bad. And I agree probably with your comments, not that you Spotify, but Apple Music isn't fantastic at finding new tracks. It's great if you know what you want to listen to which suits me most of the time. But every now and again, I do want some new things. So I think this is awful as well. I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, it's not a huge amount of music, 0.5%, but it's probably the people who are either on their way out or on their way up that are, aren't getting the plays at this point. And surely the, they're the people you really want to be supporting. So I don't understand this at all. I think it's quite anti-competitive, really. I hope Apple Music is not doing the same sort of thing. And artists should be recompensed for what they do. The, the reason there's such an explosion in gig costs, ticket costs, is because they're not making the same amount of money they used to make from record companies, and this isn't helping. Also, though, is this a start of a slippery slope? Because a year from now, well, they go, oh, we introduced that thing last year. We're now just going to widen it to be, I think you said 0.5%. We're now going to widen it to be 0.8%. And then it will go wider and wider and wider. And then you'll reach a point where you've got to have, you know, a top 100 stream song to actually get some some money out of Spotify. So that's my concern. In the round right now on the face of it, might not be too bad, but when will they adjust the boundaries? That's the question. And if it's, if it's successful in one, if Spotify get away with it, then Apple might, then Deezer might, then... And that is really bad for the industry. We've seen... The bigger artists continually get profiled because that's what the algorithms do. They, they go back to the more popular in, artists with that. I think this is really dangerous for music discovery, for artists, for people thinking again in the music business, that they're not, you know, they were being underpaid. Now they might not be paid. What's the incentive for them to get on Spotify? Well, you've got to be there because that's where all the ears are. 
it just it does not it's the opposite of a virtuous circle it's a vicious circle yeah it's not good is it i don't it doesn't sit right with me this and like i said i fear it will be just just the, the tip the starting point i guess is the right word we've got more music news there haven't we because this week that's what do you think of my segue this week apple have released apple music classical on the ipad which is taking about six months between the iPhone version and the iPad version coming out, which is really bad look for Apple because they're always pushing to tell developers how easy it is to make an iPad app. They haven't released it on the Mac, which is odd to me because I was kind of hoping they might do that as well because that would make sense. I'm really glad they've done it. I really like it. It's just Apple Music, the iPad app, but for classical music, I think they've done a good job with it. I do want them, though, just to separate. I would like a wall between Apple Music and Apple Classical because it's just a bit mixed. I find it really odd. I agree. They should have done it. They should have done it at the time. They're always talking about the tools that make it so easy to go from one to the other to let you have it. The thing that absolutely mystifies me, absolutely mystifies me, is that this can these songs cannot be downloaded for offline use. So what's that all about? That's one of the points of, of having a music subscription like this is that you can download them to your device when you jump on a plane, when you're going to be out of Wi-Fi, when you go camping, whatever it is. And I presume people that listen to classical music are just as likely to do that as people listen to every other kind of music. I guess you could still download them in the proper Apple Music app, but this just mystifies me. Yeah, that's. it just seems stupid to me because... So I'm just now you've said it, I've just gone in to go and have a look at it. And you're 100% right, yeah, you can't download them. I think there's two things here. One, yes, you can just go in the regular Apple Music app and download them, fine. But I wonder if where they've tried to share everything between the two apps, it's actually hamstrung them and they're struggling to have to have like one canonical library where you've downloaded it from two places. But this is why I think they should just be two separate apps. Maybe they feed off the same master list, fine. But the way they've gone about it just seems odd. It's hamstrung in really weird ways. And yet this took them literal years to come out with this app. And yet, the way they've done it feels like, rather than dump all the cruft of Apple Music, because obviously, especially on the Mac, Apple Music is just iTunes, this was a great opportunity for them maybe to go, you know what, we're going to do it all in the modern way. Like if we wrote a fresh streaming app today for classical music, we can do all fresh apps for iPad, iPhone, Mac, Watch, and CarPlay, and do it all in the right way. But they haven't done that. They've done like a halfway house of taking Apple Music and this, whatever system they bought, I can't remember what it was called now, and they've kind of munged it together in a really odd way rather than actually, why don't we just think about this and engineer it properly? I, maybe there's some more shoes to drop. Maybe there's, you know, an next version of iOS we'll have a new version of Apple Music where this all makes sense. But right now, it just all seems very bizarre engineering decisions that they've... Have they thought about before they've taken them? I don't know. I just wish they did it properly. I think if they'd have just separated them at birth, it would have been a lot easier for all involved. And if we'd waited longer, if they did want to do it, then put them all out together. If it had been another six months to release the Mac, the iPad, and the phone app, we weren't missing Apple Music Classical. Bringing it out in this sort of haphazard way with all the problems that you've just discussed, I think it looks bad. It wouldn't have hurt them at all not to. Agreed. It does look bad. And... It took them years to get out this half-baked version. Why not just take that a little bit longer? Also, other real weird thing that happened. So it, I downloaded the beta onto my iPad of uh, iPad OS 17.2. I then installed Apple Music Classical. Um, open up Apple Music Classical and it goes, you need to open up Apple Music and accept our terms and conditions before you can use it. And I was like, why have I got to go to a different app? I don't know. It just, oh, like I said, I think the way they're trying to share th- parts of the app 
is just stupid. Just cut them off. They're not Siamese twins. Come on. Yep. I agree. The subscription is common, but it's, you know, like having an iCloud subscription and watching Apple Apple TV Plus, I, it makes no sense. It's badly engineered is what it is. Agreed. Completely agree. Yeah. Maybe there'll be more, more shoes to drop, but I'm not seeing it. So I can do segues too. Speaking of badly engineered, let's have a quick look at Windows 11 and the Microsoft side of the fence, shall we? So... This is a little story of the EU standing up for at least users' rights within the EU. After all the negative stories about Microsoft and their bundling and their polls, why are you leaving us? Why do you want to set a different search engine? Why won't you use Edge, please? If you live in the EU, Microsoft will soon let Windows 11 users disable Bing, remove Microsoft Edge, and even add custom web search providers, which is functionality that should have just been there from the start. Isn't this why they went to court 20 odd years ago? Well... As we've said, they're getting ever worse about pushing this stuff in your face. It's funny, I went to a meeting last week in Wednesday in London, and they were all talking about a plug-in for Outlook, and everybody whinged about the fact the plug-in for Outlook to give them decrypt some element of their mail forced them to open an Edge, and all these diehard Windows users are going, but I don't want to use Microsoft Edge. It's awful it forces me to do this. So they've got a problem here, I think. Uh, Yeah, they have. I used to really like Microsoft Edge. But actually, I'm less keen on it, I think, in more recent times because it, I'm trying to think of the right words, it just, I don't know, it just seems to have lost what I liked about it. I liked that it was really clean, it wasn't Google, but now they've started forcing Bing upon you and more and more and more, I'm like, I've had enough of it now. Yeah, I don't think, well, as two people who live on operating systems that are quite forceful, Microsoft shouldn't be this forceful. You know, they, they gained a lot of market share and heart back by playing so well with the open source community, by trying to demonstrate that the operating system was a bit more with you, ignoring all the creepy in the background monitoring you stuff. But it, they were they were winning quite a lot of stuff with that, and they, they're walking it back pretty quickly. Anyway, also as part of this update, you'll be able to uninstall the camera app, Cortana, about time, it's dead anyway, web search from Bing, Microsoft Edge, and Photos. So that's a good start. It is good, and I do think OS vendors need to get to that position where you can uninstall all the the majority of the apps that come with the 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 phone, the the laptop, whatever it may be. I should be able to pair it right back if I want to. If I want to uninstall the phone app, let me do it. Then maybe that's my problem. But I I think Apple have taken it too far, so it'd be good to see this. I agree. It's a shame it won't apply to us in the UK because we're not in the EU and it certainly won't apply to Americans, but well done, the EU, looking after your citizens. I don't want to say anything, but they should just do this everywhere. Why? Just make it universal. It's the right thing to do, but I understand why they won't do that. It is the right thing to do. And speaking of the right thing to do, Apple has finally stopped selling OS X Lion and OS X Mountain Lion on CD, or I should say DVD. DVD. I, I can't believe that was still a thing. I had no idea that was still going. I remember when they started doing that, but I would have assumed it would have stopped by now. I think I downloaded the DMG and burnt it to rewritable DVDR, possibly in the lab in, in computer science back in Swansea back in the day. No, we, it's too late, isn't it? Yeah. We must have done at some point, surely. When was Leopard? When was Leopard? I'll have to look it up. It wasn't Mountain Lion because it was 2011, but I feel like we did this with Leopard or Snow Leopard or something like that. So Leopard came out 16 years ago. Wow, 2007. So that was after university as well. Yeah, I'm beginning to lose the plot now. I I definitely remember making use of one of the Quicksilver mirror door uh, G4s in the Mac Lab back in university back in the day to burn some Mac OS X release. 
Feels like we're aging. Faster every day. Agreed. Tell us about the next story. And next up, what have we got? We have got, oh yeah, the first Qi 2 accessories, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, for iPhone 15, they're coming in time for the for the holidays. I was reading about this actually, because I don't recall, and do correct me if I'm wrong, that Apple's ever said that the iPhone 15 supported Qi 2. Qi 2. Qi 2, sorry. I think it kind of does, because Apple are on the Qi standards committee for what the next version of Qi is going to be. So I think the next version of Qi, Qi 2, is effectively just MagSafe anyway. Yeah, I get it, but I don't ever remember them saying the iPhone 15 supports Qi 2. Maybe they don't have to. It's Presumably, whatever speed they charge, is it 15 watts? Is that the maximum to, to MagSafe? Yeah. I think it's going to be the same for Qi too. So we we stand to benefit. But if I recall how slowly Qi rolled out and how rubbish it's been in some places, like some Starbucks have Qi charging points on, on their desks, it's super slow. Yeah, I never really use it when I'm out and about. I usually have my own cables. But it's just interesting to me. I just, I didn't realize Qi 2 was a thing. I'd heard about it, but I didn't realize any devices support it. I mean, it's good Apple are doing it and it's a standard. I love MagSafe and I've got MagSafe everywhere. So it's not for me, but I do get why they're doing it. No, no, but if you go to a hotel and it's got a 15-watt charging pad just built into the desk, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, you're right. Over time, it will become the norm. Yeah, hopefully we don't end up with dock connectors everywhere in the form of original Qi charging points everywhere that touch your phones to and it goes, too slow. Or put your phone on it and all your data gets sent to Russia. Why not? Real-time follow-up, it would have been Jaguar 10.2 or Panther 10.3 that it was burning. I remember Panther was on three CDs, I think, at the time. I remember it being three discs, I don't, and I think then we went to DVD. Might have been, and that was 32-bit or 64-bit power PC systems. Yeah, I guess it would have been. Sorry, I was just doing the math in my head. Yes, you're quite right. It would have yeah. been 32-bit. And then I think Snow Leopard took us all 64, if I remember correctly. I think it did. Back in the day. Uh, moving on, another little bit of news from Microsoft. So this is a new app for iPhones, iPads, Macs, and PCs that you can download from Mac App Store called Windows App, and what it is, is basically remote desktop connection, I think. So if you use Microsoft Terminal Services or one of those things, or you have a machine live in the Azure cloud somewhere, it's just another way of getting at it. But it seemed to get a huge amount of press coverage in the week, and I was a bit surprised why. Yeah, I was a bit surprised why. Maybe it's just the way they've productized it and made it super accessible, maybe, for somebody just to have Windows on their device i guess you could set up an azure account have your windows 10 box in the cloud and off you go i, I don't know um it got more more love than i was anticipating but maybe i need to give it a go but i was hoping that i could just have it on my ipad and install windows onto my ipad and and it do some cool virtualization and then i could play games on my ipad but that's not what i got no, that's definitely not what you got. I should probably try it. I use a VPN and, and Windows Remote Desktop connection to connect to a couple of servers in, 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 my, in our estate and work. So I should maybe try it just to say I've tried it. But Remote Desktop connection works perfectly fine for me. What's my urge to move to something like this? I kind of get the Azure thing. Maybe it's like an Amazon Elastic Cloud instance where you can just rent a server for an hour if you need something quickly doing. But it's, it's a bit odd. It's a bit esoteric. Yeah, it's a bit odd. And if you're doing that, you'd probably use remote desktop anyway. So, yeah, I don't know. I just found it a bit of an odd update. But like you say, it did get a bit, quite a bit of press. Definitely a strange one. Should we move on to the next story? Yeah, so Apple and Meta are joining forces. What's this all about? 
So this is Apple and Meta and TikTok don't want to be classified as one of these gatekeeper. I can't think of the next word. You know, they don't want to be a, have their apps classed as a gatekeeper under the new EU Digital Markets Act, which I think we talked about last week. But it's when you've got X number of million users, you're basically responsible for the behavior of, of the, the content, what your users say and do to each other, policing it, you know, looking out for hate speech, child sexual abuse material, all these kinds of things that we've talked about before. Apple don't want to be classified this, neither do Meta, neither do TikTok, unsurprisingly. But they are, they're massive companies. I just, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see if they fight it, but uh, it just seems bonkers to me. I just can't even believe they're putting up a fight and trying to claim that they're not gatekeepers. But this is part of, you know, the same sort of thing we were talking about last week with Apple claiming Safari was three separate browsers. So I do find it interesting that these big companies are trying to squirm out from under this. I don't think Meta can fight this very hard. TikTok have a massive user base amongst a particular demographic. And we both know Apple have a massive user base, even if it is just on phones, not on Macs and things like that. So, but yeah, even, I think they're... Even on Macs, they've got a huge user base. So, oh, come on now. Yeah, it's 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 a bit rubbish, but uh, it's not a great group to be involved with, is it, Meta and TikTok? No, they're not names that you normally see Apple next to, are they? They're not. Today is a good day to talk about this next story, I think. Have you been following the OpenAI Stramash? Yeah, so I, I have a little bit because... I've been talking to Microsoft a lot lately in my professional capacity. I've been to Microsoft Envision, as we discussed, where I saw lots of co-pilot news and how it's all baked in with OpenAI. So I have been following the news because I was a bit confused when I opened Mastodon this morning. I was like, what's going on? You know, you, you know when you see snippets of things and you haven't quite pieced it all together. But now I was interested today just to see what's going on. So historically... Earlier this year, Microsoft, I think it was this year, maybe late last year, Microsoft announced they've invested billions, literal billions, into OpenAI and they're baking AI into all of their products. And Microsoft have branded it Copilot, it's a great move. And it's in the office suite, it's in Teams, you know, it's in their sales platform, their customer service platform. They're doing it with security, they're doing GitHub. And it's landed really well, I think, on the whole. It's got great press. But they've seriously invested in OpenAI. But there's now been a change at OpenAI over the weekend, by the sound of it. And my understanding is they basically fired the CEO, the leader, and his, is it his co-chair or chief has gone? So both of them have been ousted from the company. They've been sacked by the board over the weekend. And then in compelling news, Microsoft announced today they've created a new, new AI division and this guy's going to be their, their, their CEO of AI. Yeah, it's a really odd story, this, in some ways. You know, he got fired late on Friday, apparently. So the board decided they didn't like him, and th- this the co-creator, chief operating officer, whatever he was at the same time. the chair. So he's gone. Apparently, and Neil Patel covered this really well on The Verge, via Mastodon, and, and, and on the website, about how he's in, he's out, shake it all about, effect, effectively. They tried to rehire him three times after the stramash that was caused over the weekend. All these are linked to in the, in the show notes if you want to keep up with the stories. But Michael's side does a particularly good one of covering everything as sort of it happened. The last thing we'd heard was he's going to come back. This even made The Guardian this morning that he was going to come back. It was a done deal. He's coming back. The company don't, aren't happy with it. They're not happy with the fact that the creator of ChatGPT, which has definitely been the new hotness this year. I mean, it's one of the stories of this year in tech. We've talked about it repeatedly. It's another large language models, which, as you say, Microsoft invested in particularly you know, to become a market leader in it actually turned out he was out and was very quickly snapped up by Microsoft, you know, to lead their, their IT team. What a great hire. But 500 
employees from the company have said, unless you get him back, we're going to Microsoft too. I got to say, this almost seems like Microsoft doing a stealth purchase of OpenAI because they're getting all the talent, all the know-how, everybody that did this stuff, and very quickly recouping on a quite a small investment for them for all the value that, as you've said, they've got out of it. Yeah, so the two people we talk about here is Sam Altman and Greg Brockman. I think fair play to Microsoft for moving really quickly and agile. It's great to see a big company go, you know what, there's an opportunity here, let's grasp it. So I think that's amazing. And I think basically they're, they're, they're there waiting for everybody else to walk out the door and they just scoop them all up, which is great to see Microsoft be a goodie, to be fair. And like I say, they've just created this. No, but they are in essence, though. These people are being let go. And obviously there's something in it for them, but they could have just ignored it. They could have said they're not going to do anything. But there's been lots of outpouring on Twitter, I think, or X, should I say, from OpenAI employees go, I can't remember what the line is. I've seen it somewhere. It's uh, OpenAI is nothing without its people, which is quite a statement. And lots of employees are, are tweeting that or Xing that. I don't know what the terminology is these days. But it's quite a thing. It's such a bad look. I'm really curious to know what happened to make them want to oust him on a Friday afternoon, then try and get him back. And then he's gone anyway. And they seem to have fumbled how they've dealt with it. They haven't owned it. Do you know what I mean? They haven't really turned around and stood up and gone, look, we've let him go for this reason. Insert polite reason here. We're owning it. Don't worry, though. We've brought in the guy from Twitch. It will all be fine. Bringing in the guy from Twitch seems a bit odd to me, but there you go. Yeah, i got two thoughts. One is, is it Microsoft being a good guy or is it just clever corporate tactics that if you sweep up everybody who's involved with the primary thing, your competitors aren't getting them? We've talked about this with hires in the past and it is the new hotness and they're invested really heavily in AI. As you said, it's it's beginning to pervade a lot of their products and that's not going to change anytime soon. If you've got that in-house and you don't need to put any money in open AI beyond what they've already done, win-win. So I'd say Satya Nadella gets his bonus this year. Yeah, no, definitely. But Microsoft are mitigating the risk, aren't they? Because OpenAI could go belly up. They need OpenAI because they've been announcing it all year in their products. They've only just made it available to most people. So they need to resolve this and and, and mitigate the risk. And so a great way of them doing it is having an AI division. And it's a no-brainer for them to have an AI division, isn't it? They've spent 10 billion quid with OpenAI. If the guys that developed what you wanted and you believe in the in the guys and girls employ them direct why wouldn't you cut out the middleman i'm I'm amazed that they relied so heavily on open ai as a separate entity when they baked it into the core of their products because obviously what happens if they baked it into the core and open ai just went down the tubes what would happen to you know version five of the model microsoft wouldn't get it it might not ever exist and they'd be stuck on somebody else's code so i I think this is a no-brainer from a business standpoint. But weirdly, Microsoft apparently own about 50% of OpenAI. But yet, do they not have anybody on the board? Do they not get voting rights if they own half the company? It seems, seems a bit bizarre to me. Well, the whole situation seems very bizarre to me. That The board would do this to somebody who was obviously that well-liked, respected, you know, a leader in the truest sense of the word within the OpenAI company to do that. So as you scroll through Michael Sy's post, it, Sam Altman's firing as OpenAI CEO was not the result of any malfe- malfeasance or anything related into our financial, business, safety, security, privacy practice, but rather a breakdown in communication between Sam Altman and the board. Okay. The board is made up of Tasha McCauley and Helen Toner and this Ilya Sutskiver. I'm sorry if I've mangled his name. 
as the ones who sort of made this push into firing him. So there's probably an amount of money on the line here. They're not going to hit a bonus or they're worried he had too much influence within the company or they didn't think he was important as he said he was or, or whatever. But there's obviously a real disconnect between the board. And as you say, maybe Microsoft didn't have it. Maybe they were just investing in the company in the future. You don't get a guaranteed seat on the board just because you put in a load of money. I mean, normally, but not always. So it's just quite an interesting story. It's a very long thread from from the blog there. Uh, but it's certainly worth scrolling through that. I'm going to say that again while you put a note in because I heard that sneeze. It's certainly worth scrolling through that. No, it is. And it. I wonder if it's a miscalculated decision to let him go. They, they seem to have handled it really badly. They've announced it to the world. They then said he's back in. He's, he's definitely out. You, do you know what I mean? It just seems really poorly executed. And like I say, they haven't really owned it. If you make a decision, and even if you realise it's the wrong decision after you made it and there's no coming back from it, you still need to own it and put, put a face on it, you know, put lipstick on the pig, as it were, and go, right, we have made this decision. You may not all agree with it, but don't worry, we've got this, and this is why we've done it. Whereas they seem to have done it and then not really said anything or at least not really announced any compelling reason why it's happened and reaffirming to be everything's okay. So I think they've cocked up here. Maybe they didn't realise how um, critical this one person is. Now, a company shouldn't be around one person or any couple of people, but sometimes when you're in startup mode, you need your leader, and if you haven't got your succession plan in place, I don't know, feels very short-sighted to me. I, I 100% agree. This, make, this is one of the most baffling corporate stories I've heard in some time, that there's such a disconnect between the board and its executive and founder of the company. It's It, it does beg a belief. Yeah, I definitely didn't see this coming after the year opening I've had where they've had nothing really but positive press, like 90% positive press, with a little bit, obviously, of how do we moderate AI and all of that, and sometimes it got something wrong. But on the whole, for a new tech you know, innovation, it's generally been favoured on, looked on very favourably for what it has done and how it has you know, moved us forward. So, yeah, I couldn't believe this. Yeah. It's, it's a puzzler for sure, as is, we're getting good at these segues here, as is the next story really that at the weekend or just before the weekend, Elon Musk was linked with some anti-Semitic tweets, which is awful for all the reasons that you, know, that you should look on these things as being awful. And unsurprisingly, big companies immediately started pulling out. So the first to go was IBM. There was some media about IBM's tweets appearing alongside, you know, anti-Semitic advertising effectively as, as sort of triggered by Elon Musk's tweet. Um, as a company that's very worried about anti-Semitic tweets, particularly because they have an unfortunate history. It's They've been very open about being linked to the Nazi party, those um, large mainframes of that time, having some part to play in counting to do with the Holocaust. It was a horrendous thing. They've denied it. They just said their assets were seized in Germany at that time. So they're particularly sensitive about anti-Semitism. You can understand why. They're a company with a long history. Very quickly thereafter, Apple pulled their advertising off. And Twitter has really gone on the offensive with this, particularly Linda Yaccarino today saying, you know, this is a made-up story. It's all fake news. It's apparently a lawsuit pending now in Germany because Holocaust denial is illegal in Germany, so you can't have that those kinds of things being said. So this is all blowing up very, very quickly, I think. And it's not a surprise to you and me who've been watching Twitter slash X, you know, degenerate ever since uh, Elon bought the company for his $44 billion. I'm sure he's feeling good about that right now. But why does it take something like this, when we've been saying for such a long time that this is a horrendous platform that big companies shouldn't be part of, 
to actually get them. And they haven't stopped altogether. They have none of them said they won't come back. They've just paused their advertising spends. I just think this is amazing. Do you know what? That's exactly what I was going to say. Why has it taken this to get Apple to stop doing it? There's been lots of noise around why is Apple still with Twitter X? Why are they still advertising? What's going on? Why is it happening? And yet here we are. It's finally, hopefully this is the nail in the coffin, but it's just gone on too long and it shouldn't have gone to this. I'm not being funny. I just think they should just distance themselves surely from the whole platform at this point. Yeah, very, very strange turn of events. But it, it did feel like, unlike OpenAI, this is just something we were waiting to happen, if you know what I mean. It just, this isn't a shock to anybody, is it? It's not right. Nobody nobody wants this to happen, but it's taken too long for people to realise, oh, actually, maybe maybe the person running X is not the right person. No, it's not. And uh, as you were talking, I thought I'd go and see if there were any updates in the story, and I'll put it in the show notes. There's one from the Register that, as, as well as Apple, Disney, Warner Brothers, Discovery, Paramount, Lionsgate, and Comcast have all joined IBM in a, bo- a bo- boycott of advertising on X. And CEO Linda Yaccarino was increasingly in the hot seat over a decision to defend, because that was the lesser I was talking about, defend Elon's antics. Um, she said, protecting the freedom of speech could not be more urgent and important now more than ever, Yaccarino said on Saturday. And that is absolutely the wrong tone to be setting for something like this she shouldn't be the face of that company and she's not really the face of the company we, we discussed this before didn't we when i listened to a, a podcast that she was in um they just need to again a bit like the open ai situation you just need to come out and own it in one way or another you need to come out and make a statement of what's happened here whether it's good or bad but this just oh it's just embarrassing isn't it? i don't even know what to say about it to be honest with you no, it's it's an appalling state of affair. I mean, we've got inept board in OpenAI and we've got inept executives at Twitter as well. And I'll just finish off these two stories by saying The Verge have also just posted that Sam Altman is apparently trying to return as CEO of OpenAI. So that's not a done deal yet either. Oh, okay. So it may be interesting to see how that one plays out. And, and I can see why he would want to stay because it's his company. He's founded it. He's set it up. But something's got to give here. But I, I think, again, it's the whole thing of companies owning what they're doing, owning their actions, and standing up and explaining their actions, what whether they're good, bad, or indifferent. I think you've still got to stand up and own it. And neither company seem to be doing either terribly well. What an amazing news week. It's just it's literally developing as we're talking. We might need to do another one this week just to get all the stories through. I'm joking, we won't do another one, but you know, we'll have more to talk about next week. Well, hopefully we can follow up on the open AI bit. And I'm hoping on the X bit there's nothing to follow up on because the big companies have all stopped advertising and they ain't going back. That's what I want to report on. But let's see how it goes. Shall we uh transition into something a bit happy and talk a bit about uh media, which is largely films and TV for us? Well, that's fine. No, we've got we'll get one controversial story in media as well. But I I am going to talk a little bit about For All Mankind. It's one of my favourite shows on Apple TV Plus. Last week I said I hadn't watched it because I hadn't had a chance because I'd been away. This week I've caught up on as much as there is, which is episodes one and two, and it's terrific. You'll be pleased to know they've sort of increased the effects budget a little bit. I think it looks a lot better on Mars than it than it did. Great show, great music. Great cast. They've even managed to do aging quite well on some some of the more youthful actors and that. I just love it to bits. It's a great TV show. I can't wait for episode three and let's get on with it. Yeah, I've got it sat in the in the queue. I've dragged my heels a little just because I want to sit down and actually enjoy it and give it my attention. And I actually end up watching something else, which we'll talk about in a minute. I'm looking forward to it. 
I, did they do a recap at the start? Because I'm struggling to remember all the bits of season three. So, okay, that would be good then. Because I was like, do I need to go back and watch a bit of season three? Maybe the last episode just to refresh it, my memory. But no, if they do a recap, that's fantastic. It's a short recap, but it's to the point. That's right. That's all I need. It would just hopefully be enough just to stir my memory back into action. Yeah, it's a good one. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. We can we can cover it a little bit more on the show once we've got a few more episodes under our belt. I think, as usual, trying to be slightly careful about spoilers. And I completely agree. The next one puzzles me slightly. So this is a new show on Apple TV. It's called Monarch, Legacy of Monsters. It's about Godzilla. It stars Kurt Russell. I don't understand. I'm not a big fan of the Godzilla universe. But this is Kurt Russell and his son acting in this, playing the same character with the years separating them. And it's apparently based after the events of the last Godzilla movie, which is in 2014. I didn't watch the Godzilla movie in 2014. This seems like an odd property to pick to me. Not sure I've ever seen a Godzilla movie. I quite like that Kurt Russell's in it. I quite like a bit of Kurt Russell. He's aged well, to be fair, from looking at the the poster. I don't know a lot about Godzilla. And when you said Godzilla, I did not I did not twig that the Monarch TV show was Godzilla, if that makes sense. I don't know why, I just hadn't really looked into it. No, it's something I know nothing about. So is it a TV show? Yeah, so it's a TV show, it's not a film. Okay. Well, maybe we have to try it out? I don't know. I'm not sure it's my thing. It's not my thing. That's the thing. It might be really good, though. We've got, let's face it, we've had faith in the Apple before. It shows good things. But I've got, with the exception of Pacific Rim, no interest in Godzilla movies. I didn't know Godzilla was in Pacific Rim. Well, Godzilla's not, but it's big okay. Big beasties knocking lumps out. Have you not seen Pacific Rim, Chris? No. <gasps> oh, hey, we might. Not, not really my bag, but. We might have to stop the podcast. I'm actually, I'm expressing horror now. So. I've just uh, lost a friend of 25 years because I haven't watched a, a, a film with big beasts in it. Yeah, but it's really good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm happy to go and watch it. I've actually just subscribed to Netflix this month, so, you know, maybe it's on there. I'll go and have a look after the show. That is your homework. I want you to watch, have watched Pacific Rim by the time we come back next week. All right, I'll see what I can do. What's the next story? Next story. Congress demands answers after Apple cancels John Stewart. Why is Congress getting involved in this? I haven't read this one. Okay. So the background to this is John Stewart was a light, late night talk show host. I think he did the Late Show or the Late Late Show on one of the large American networks. Always slightly controversial figure, but very funny, well regarded. I think John Oliver took over from actually as I'm talking. Apple had a bit of a win to get John Stewart as sort of a, in the same sort of role, but he was given more executive freedom to go out and seek stories and, and interviews that he'd for people he'd want to talk about. He's recorded two seasons, I want to say, and they were just about to start recording the third season. I might have that wrong. It might be three seasons and about to start recording the fourth season. But he'd expressed an interest in speaking to China and Apple's reluctance, A, to continue working with China and B, that he should go and talk to people involved with the Chinese government, what's going on and all that kind of stuff. Apple stopped him making the episodes. John Stewart dropped the account. And Congress are getting interested in this because that's a bit odd, isn't it? For American company, American host, yes, they have dealings with China, but why would they stop him carrying out, you know, probably a fairly light, but maybe with some detail in it, investigation as to what's going on in that relationship. And I think it's a bad look for Apple to have pulled out on that. Yeah, agreed. And again, why haven't they come out and explained explained it? It's that whole thing of companies owning their actions again. Yeah, I agree. So questions will be asked in Congress. 
John Stewart's a clever guy. I've quite liked the things I've seen him up till now. I haven't watched any of the things on, on Apple TV Plus that he's done, but they probably have an audience. Part of this may be just that Apple realises not many people are watching it and they're quite, they've found a reason to separate with John Stewart. He'll have no problem getting another another talk show job somewhere else. You know, he's he's got such stature within the American media that he'll be more than able to do that. And I'm sure a network, Amazon, Netflix, others, will be interested in snapping him up. I just, I don't like the reasoning that Apple have for allegedly getting involved in it this way. Yeah, it's not, again, not a good look, is it? And again, they need to own it. So there's a theme this week, I think. Tech companies need to own their decisions. Tech companies need to own, own the decisions. Should we talk about, well, quite a sad story, I think, on one level. I love Wallace and Gromit. I've, I've always liked the animations going back to whenever. I think there is as much care and attention goes into any Wallace and Gromit film made of clay as any properly shot, acted, created piece. They're properly, you know, they're lit well, they're acted well, they've got great scripts, the animation's fantastic. They have a different weight than, than cartoons. They can't find any clay to make more Wallace and Gromit or, or that kind of animations. That's horrible. Yeah, this is a bit sad, this. So the clay company that provide Ardman, Ardman are the, the makers of the films, of Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run and what have you. They, they've, they've gone out of business. I'm a mix on this article. It is bad news, but the good news is I did not realise we're getting a new Wallace and Gromit film in 24 on Netflix, so I'll take that as a win. There's a picture in the article which is a matter of loaf and death, which my children used to watch relentlessly. I don't know why, it just tickled them. And I love that film. I think the script is so well written because every line just ties into the baking theme. I thought it was really good. It's only about half an hour long. But why Why didn't they just buy the company? It's just what I don't understand. Why? Do, surely they've made enough money from Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run and the Chicken Run 2 is coming out soon. And I think Chicken Run 1, wasn't that all computer animated? I don't think they used clay on that one. I thought there was one they did that was computer animated. Yeah, it was Santa Claus one. And then the one with the rat in the London sewers was also computer generated. Flushed Away. Flushed Away was computer generated, and as was Nick Christmas or something. But I really like the clay look. Um, so I'm glad they're using clay for the next one. Um, but yeah, why didn't they just buy the company? Surely, surely that was the thing? I don't know. It just seems odd to me that they, because what they're saying here is they've retired and they've sold everything off. But why didn't Ardman just buy it? I guess it's like Apple. Not everybody wants to own the whole widget. You presume people have got other business other than just making clay for your TV show, but they are quite reliant on it. But it's surely it's better to own it than not have it at all. You would have thought. It's a sad story anyway, but if you haven't checked out Wallace and Gromit, go and do it now. Agreed. Moving on. I've continued to try and watch Loki Season 2, which is the Disney Plus show with the character Loki from the Marvel films. Tom Hiddleston's very good in it. It's just not capturing me. i got to say I'm struggling. I did hear him on Radio 2 this morning as I was going into work, and he's a very charming man who speaks very well and almost was enough to bring me back, and I might try again, but I'm struggling a bit. Never seen it. I've kind of never really got the whole Marvel thing. I got so far. I got to about Captain America in the films and then gave up. But, um, that was in various lockdowns, if I remember correctly. Yeah, there's there's a real Marvel fatigue going on at the moment. The new film, The Marvels, hasn't done very well. Loki season two has not done well. Secret Invasion hasn't done well. There's just too much of a good thing, I think. That is the problem. I mean, they were doing so well for so long. It can't last forever. And it feels like they've milked their golden goose just slightly too much. And they should have maybe just been a little more selective in what they did. Agree. 
The Killer on Netflix. So I mentioned earlier I've signed up for Netflix, which I don't normally do, but I've reactivated my account for one month. I bought the super duper 4K package, which is quite a lot of money now. It's like, is it 20 quid or something? I can't remember. But I thought I'd do it for a month. And I've watched The Killer by directed by David Fincher, big David Fincher fan over here. It stars Michael Fassbender. And I'm, I don't think I know that many films that have got Michael Fassbender in it, but he is fantastic in it. The film, if you like a bit of David Fincher, is awesome. It's so good. I've even started watching it again because I just wanted to go back and rewatch and get the bits I missed the first time around. The story, not what I expected at all, but the execution of it, and it looks like a David Fincher film, very neat, very clean, very crisp. They, like we say about the Apple sheen, you do get a bit of a Fincher sheen if you think back to like the social network, the girl with the dragon tattoo. There's just, everything looks very sharp, very crisp, especially in 4K. But it's absolutely fantastic. The cast is stellar. The I think the story's very good. Really like the execution of it. It's two hours long, which isn't too bad for a Fincher film. Often he goes a bit long. Um, but I knew it was going to be quick because as soon as you turn it on, you're straight into the credits and off you go. Um, but we thoroughly recommend If anybody's enjoyed a David Fincher film in the past, would recommend it's not too gory um but just just fantastically done so yeah big thumbs up for me fair enough i think i've seen a trailer for it michael fassbender he's magneto in the fox x-men films i'll take your word for it good actor irish german i'll take i'll take your word for that too but he is good in it he owns it and there's a lot of uh narration he has to do throughout throughout the film Um, but just so well done just really enjoyed it very believable character just yeah it's just a fantastic fincher film it's great to see fincher do a good film so yeah would recommend great bank of dave tv series which you've mentioned before no no we spoke about the film before so i watched the film where the guy at james bond plays dave and actually i've gone and watched the actual bank of dave tv series that came out about in 2011 slash 2012 it's just really good it's only three episodes it's great all about this really bubby guy in Burnley in the UK but I'd watched the film really enjoyed the film went back and watched the TV show and to be fair I think the film did a good job of representing real life events just just, yeah, just a really good show and for three episodes easy watch and quite uplifting to see a guy actually trying to help other people out and loan them money to get their business ideas off the ground and take on the big banks I do feel for him though because in it he says we should have a community bank in every city or town across the uk and i think his is the only one that exists up in burnley so it is a shame it hasn't gone wider in the last 10 years or so but great little tv show would recommend if anybody in the uk hasn't seen it brilliant and third one for you braun now this one's really interesting because this is formula one which obviously i love it's all about braun back in the 2009 season of formula one when this basically underdog team that was about to go under as honda pulled out of formula one and basically go on and win the championship. And they were the best car that year. Amazing team, but literally on the brink of going under. Had different sponsors for various races just to get them through. Had a bit of money off Virgin at the start as, as one of the main sponsors. Branson milked it and pretended he was you know, the saviour of the Formula 1 team. Um, and then this team then went on to become Mercedes, which has obviously dominated the sport for years. And Lewis Hamilton has done famously well with them. Uh, but just a really nice four-episode documentary on Disney+. Plus. But the main host of the show is Keanu Reeves, which is something you've never really seen before. I don't think Keanu Reeves doing a documentary and interviewing people um, and actually seems quite interested in it. Came across quite well. Uh, I just thought it was a really good, good show for anybody that likes a bit of Formula One. And also if you if if you root for the underdog, it's an amazing year to have watched a bit of Formula One and all the things that were against the team. 
and you know they pulled it off against teams with much larger budgets and engineering resources um, and it was just just great amazing seeing a white car drive around the track with very little sponsorship on it so yeah fantastic show really well done and I thought Keanu Reeves was really good in it Keanu Reeves is a big fan of motorsport has a motorcycle company actually and I think has narrated at least one of the sort of motorcycle MotoGP documentaries that I've been involved I've, I've, I've watched over the years Whenever there's an American round, round of MotoGP, he tends to pitch up. You see him on the pit with all the riders and stuff like that. So clearly just a motorsport fan. Yeah, I just thought he came across well. But I've never seen... I could believe him narration, doing narration because I think he's got a good voice for it. But him actually sat down opposite the table asking questions was just a different side to him. I thought he came across quite well in it. Um, it was just a great little TV show and I quite like it. It's a nice short show. Like I say, that and Banker Dave, both quite short. Not 10 episodes, just three or four. Um, yeah, fantastically done. Fair enough. Sounds good. Not Keanu maintaining his reputation as being one of the nicest guys in show business. Yeah, he generally came. He's like the Dave Grohl, isn't he, of of show business? To be fair, <laughs> the Dave Grohl of movies and TV. Anything else in TV? Uh, the only thing I was going to say is, did I mention the Beckham documentary TV show? I can't remember if we talked about it last week, but that was pop- another reason I got Netflix. Was I've also watched that? It's four episodes, all about David Beckham. I'm not a football fan, but actually, really well done. And I had no idea of all the abuse and grief he got sort of late 90s, early 2000s for getting a red card in a football quali- in a football final World Cup match. But just a super interesting show about him and his family and his partner who, who was a Spice Girl. So, or is a Spice Was a Spice Girl? She's still his partner, but she's not a Spice Girl anymore. But again, some really good documentaries on Netflix. And it's actually swung me around to enjoying quite a bit of Netflix. And I want to go and watch the Arnie one next, I think. And I think there's a Sylvester Stallone one. But I've, I've no idea what the quality of them, them are like. But just some things from my childhood I'm a little bit interested in knowing a bit more about. Watch The Witcher. It's the best. What, what's The Witcher? There was a computer game a few years ago. It's actually based on a series of books from Poland or what would become Poland in 19-something or other. They're Polish. They got Henry Cavill to play this character. There's a computer game from a few years ago called The Witcher. Then there was The Witcher 3, which is one of the biggest computer games of all time. CD Projekt Red, who made it, are famous for supporting it for years and years and years. Linking back to our last story, their last project, which is called Cyberpunk 2077, starred Keanu Reeves. So it's sort of that witcher engine and their sort of open world type rpg game is is very famous anyway it's terrific the witcher henry cavill's fantastic in it a bit of gribbly monster stuff to slay with swords and there's a bit of magic the first season particularly is told without giving any spoilers away even though it's been out for a while in a very interesting way you're not sure where you are on the timeline and what's going on but they sort of really bring it off very very cleverly indeed Give yourself a go- do yourself a favour and watch The Witcher. It's only six or eight episodes, I think. Okay, I've, seems like I'm picking up more homework than I bargained for this week. Fair's fair. You'll have finished your brawn thing by then, right? I, I've done brawn. It's finished. It's fantastic. I knew the answer anyway, but it was just nice just to go back and see some of the footage. So, uh, exactly. So you've got Pacific Rim, and then you've got The Witcher as well. Okay, no pressure. I think that was a good segue for games, though. As you've just talked about The Witcher game, um, we can go into games, and it's all you this week. It is all me, none of which will take me very long, but I think it's worth mentioning. So your adventures a few weeks ago in trying to get the Mac game porting toolkit work inspired me slightly to think, I wonder if I can get anything working in the game porting toolkit. So I decided to try and get Command & Conquer Red Alert off Steam working because I thought that would be really impressive for you. I'll jump to the end and say, no, I didn't get Command & Conquer Red Alert working in Steam uh, via the Mac via emulation, which is sad days. But... 
I think I made a fairly solid start, and I think with a little bit of updates here and there, and maybe be understanding what it is I need to do, we'll get further. So there is an app for M1, sorry, M Series Max called Whiskey. Uh, if you get go to getwhiskey.app, you'll find this layer, and what it is is a very nicely written Swift UI layer that pulls down all the things that you probably need to at least make a start on running the game porting toolkit. So expect you to have Rosetta installed. Most Macs have Rosetta installed if you've tried to run an Intel binary. And then it will go off and find the game porting toolkit for you. And it got as far as getting it to install Steam, downloading Red Alert, clicking play, it beginning to show the first launch screen, and then it crashes hard. So I think there's maybe a VB runtime or something missing that it's failing to pull down. But actually, it's quite a lot of the way there. So for the future, when you're looking at ways of getting Windows games running on your Mac, this might not be a bad way to go. Yeah, I'm just firing up as we talk. And it's great, like you say, it's downloaded the latest version of the game porting toolkit. Um, and then you can create a bottle. And I guess that's like a virtual machine in essence, you know, and then I guess you then can run things against it. So it looks great. And that was probably one of my biggest barriers to entry with the game porting toolkit and getting stuff working on it. It was just lots of terminal commands which I'm semi-comfortable with, but I don't do a huge amount of it in my day-to-day job. So that was a bit of a learning curve. This looks fantastic. So yeah, I'm going to give this a go. Give it a go. Some games are supported, like the aforementioned Cyberpunk 2077. You can actually get it to work with it as well if you happen to own that. But it could be a good option. If more and more things start to support this and there's a bit more documentation about how to get some of the harder-to-run Windows games up and running and things like this, it could leave us in a good place as bank gamers. Yeah, it does feel like there's only a matter of time, I think, before this sort of stuff gets easier there will become a better solution i think it won't be apple that provide it like we had boot camp when we had intel max but there will be something i think that will that will come out the woodwork it's i mean it's it left me in a slightly interesting place because i went and i happened to have a, a linux install up and running at the time and i flipped over there and i downloaded and played command and conquer red alert which is a windows game the remaster of it and i lost myself and did a few levels of that and that was great And it made me realize I hadn't rebooted into my Windows PC for quite a while. I think it's been like three weeks at this point. Modern Warfare 3 came out. I bought it on the PlayStation rather than on that. And I have felt no desire whatsoever to fire up my really quite significant gaming PC. You know, it's got a good NVIDIA graphics card and all the rest of it. But actually, I can do almost everything I want between the PlayStation and maybe the Steam Deck, frankly. So it's nice to have that Linux thing. Maybe I've actually managed to leave Microsoft behind now. Yeah, that's why I went for the Steam Deck, was so I could do the majority of what I want. I can use it on my screen down here. I can take it up to the house, just plug it in, off I go. So I get the appeal. Yep. So hopefully, coming back to the point, this whiskey thing will become ever more useful to us. Moving on. I don't know if you've ever watched him, but there is a YouTuber. Well, it was even proto-YouTuber. He had his own channel before that called Yahtzee. Yahtzee Croshaw. Ben Croshaw is his name. His, his sort of gamer tag is Yahtzee, uh, who's been reviewing computer games for decades at this point have you heard of him i had not right so he he does really funny slightly coarse five minute computer game reviews he doesn't like multiplayer games he does like he does not a big fan of mario games massive fan of half-life you know things like that he does really quite clever reviews of things anyway and he will dip his toe into multiplayer too he's been with a site called zero punctuation sorry he's been with a site called the escapist for 16 years he's one of the sort of co-founders of it i think anyway the escapist fired his producer two weeks ago and he walked 
at the same time. So we actually walked away from this website and is now trying to start again effectively with a website with a, a YouTube channel called Second Wind, which I quite like. With his sort of style and everything, he's got a very distinctive animation style and quite a sarcastic. He's he's a Brit. He's a Brit who moved to Australia and now America, and he's very much kept that sort of British sense of humour with him as he's gone. I'll, if you remind me, post a couple of his better videos to the as links here, so you can go and see what I'm talking about. But I just think it's amazing that sort of loyalty that he had to his producer. That speaking of corporate problems, that they didn't recognise, and he's by far the biggest star on their channel as a gaming channel. So I just found it fascinating that he'd moved. It's such a big story, it made it on the BBC, no less. Not just some weird computer gaming website. The BBC actually covered it. So, good luck to Yahtzee. He's great. He's written a couple of books. I really like his reviews. It was one of the highlights of my Wednesdays. Even if it wasn't a game I was interested in, was his review. So, I'm glad he's still going. No, it's good he's still going. And fair play to him. You know, it takes a lot just to, to walk, as it were. But you do vote with your feet. And if you don't believe what's happening, then he's done the right thing, hasn't he? And he's voted with his feet and... and stuck with his producers so fair play to the guy no I don't know when you were reading off that he doesn't like multiplayer games I was thinking I quite like the guy but then when you said he doesn't like Mario ooh I'm not sure about that it's not that he doesn't like Mario it's that he doesn't like the slavish you must like everything Mario does as much as anything else Uh, okay then yeah that's fair enough and moving on we touched on this show the PlayStation Portal has been released it's up for review and I still don't see the point of it so for people who haven't been keeping up you must have a PlayStation 5 in the house. This is just like a remote streaming option that you have within your house so you can play your PlayStation 5 while it's somebody else is using the TV for something else. It looks like a really nice bit of hardware, but I don't see the point of it. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'd do with this. Like, I should be an ideal candidate. Oh, well, I could play my PlayStation while I'm in my shed. But I just go up and play on my PlayStation or I want to play on my PlayStation. So I find it a bit bizarre. And if they turn it for a couple hundred pounds... A new PlayStation's about 350 now, I think there's some discounts, so I'd probably just buy another PlayStation if, if it came to it, if I'm honest, but maybe that's just me. Yeah, another PlayStation's 150 quid more than this. I mean, you do need a nice TV to watch on, but it comes with a gamepad as well. I don't, I just genuinely don't understand this device. Yeah, seems seems a bit of an odd one to me. Nice screen, though. Yeah, it does look a nice device. If it was standalone... Like a Steam Deck done by PlayStation or a Switch done by PlayStation, like the PSP used to be, or the Vito, Vita, um, Vita. then they'd be a bit more interesting, but I'm not interested in this. No, I agree. Anything else for games? No, I've, I haven't really played, if I'm, if I'm honest. So I've watched a lot of films, though, so you know, I'm doing my bit for the media section. Okay. Should we do some intro? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so two stories we kind of want to cover this week, really. The first one, and this was a bolt from the blue, was on Friday morning, I forget. It was it was thereabouts. So it was some unexpected time slot that Apple just suddenly released that they were going to support RCS out of the blue, having been resistant to it for a while. So RCS is remote communication standard, I'm saying. As I say out loud, I'm not convinced. Yeah, I believe that's it. And this is what Android's have um, implemented in more recent versions and it's their default way of texting between android devices so it's like a richer version of sms but it's not imessage i think that's the, the right way to pitch it yeah it replaces sms and mms so you know just text or text with a little bit of media on it to be more comparable in one sense to 
what you get with iMessage. We shouldn't call it iMessage, it's messages these days, isn't it? So you get things like typing indicators, you get high quality media and videos being posted to it. It's not coming out of your texting plan, it's coming out of your data plan, that kind of stuff. So it is a more modern standard. The critical bit that's missing is it doesn't have end-to-end -end encryption though. So you have an Android user in your iMessage chat, even if you're all in RCS, you're not encrypted at that point. So that's a major differentiator between it. But it's surprising that everybody, as soon as this was released, everybody was like, yay, no more green bubble friends, Android friends, in chat. This isn't that. This is just Apple complying with the standard, probably for the EU as much as anything else. Yeah, so I'm, look, it's about time Apple did it. They seem to have dragged their heels. I think we were expecting the last two versions, maybe. So it's great. They're finally going to get around and put it in. So 100% the, you know, the right thing to do. So I don't know why it's taken them so long. That does seem a bit bit strange. But yeah, they should have done this before. But it's not surprising they're going to stay as green bubbles. I think most people, knowing Apple, won't even notice any difference. Because Apple are very good at changing the underlying technology. But not changing anything else if you know what i mean and so i think most people wouldn't even notice this when it goes live in ios 18 let's say assuming it is ios 18 it's gonna make its appearance in you know most people won't even know about it because it would just function like it does now it would look probably the same apple are very good at that to their credit you are the only person i know i think who almost solely relies on iMessage almost everybody else i know relies on whatsapp telegram signal slack teams you know something other than the default you get the odd message i get the odd message to imessage i have a family chat on imessage but everything else i'm in another messaging thing for this barely affects me at all i gotta say uh, i don't think it really affects me i've got a couple of mates who have android phones it was quite funny trying to watch some copy and paste the other day and i did joke you should just get a, you know an iphone because you can do copy and paste on it but uh, I just don't have that many people that have Android devices. It's really a non-event for me. So I don't think this is going to change my life. It would be nice to have it, but not that bothered. Um, and I'm definitely not going to WhatsApp. I think it's good that it's supported. I do. Or they're going to support it, rather. I also slightly think it's because they're going to be forced to. You know, they're they're jumping before they're pushed at this point. But that's quite right. They've got enough. They're going to get about to get enough flack from the EU and presumably Congress as well about anti-competitive gatekeeper status, all the things we've been talking about in the podcast for a while that this is an easy bullet for them to dodge. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Like, surely that it does feel like they need to start... They need to start ticking off the things that will get them tripped up, I guess, is the right word I'm looking for, because it just seems strange to me that that they've let it go on so long and get so dire that they could get forced to do it. It's kind of the same with, like, USB-C. They could have just dealt with this ages ago. So why don't you do it ahead of time, do it in your way? Can you imagine, though, some poor person's going to have to dust off the old Objective-C code and try and work out how text messages are sent on an iPhone? Because they probably haven't touched that bit of code in donkey's years. Well, that's, that's a fair point. But maybe they should have been modernizing it then. You know, They've got a lot of people and a lot of money. They can keep some of this stuff up to date. Yeah, I don't think Apple see apple music classical are very good with their tech debt and they keep creating some tech debt problems same with the itunes piece we spoke about the other week where they're going to finally turn off the store in itunes store and put it all in the tv app it's taken them years to do it it's they're just not very good at dealing with their technical debt i think and th this is one of those 
I mean, this really worries me. I can't remember if we said it on the show, but as I sort of look around at some of the folders on my Mac, and I think, I look at Terminal, for example. When was that last updated, actually? When was Graph and Calculator last updated, actually? Should they be maintaining these things if they can't do them? You know, there's, there's a whole, as you say, technical debt buried in the depth of the system. They get so excited about whatever the new feature is, Notification Center, which is just the worst thing. I hate the way I get notifications on my Mac using, was it Sparkle or whatever it was back in the day? Growl. It was called Growl back in the day that would give you notifications as things would happen. Back in the Puma days, it was probably far better than what we have these days. Yeah, you're right. It was called Growl. I've forgotten about that. I just, yeah, Apple, I just think Apple are good at putting a bit of paint on something. And they are, look, they do some amazing innovation. But I just don't think they're very good at looking after the old data stuff. Like the phone app. This year we had contact posters and things. Why don't you go in and update all the phone app screens? Because there's the favourite still looks like it did in Objective-C times. I think it should be a bit bigger. It looks dated because it's not kept up with the modern look and feel of iOS apps. Now, come on, the, it's called an iPhone, but yet the phone app's really dated. It probably hasn't been touched in 10 years until we did this contact poster thing. So I, I, I think they need to get better at that. Otherwise, they're going to end up with all this tech debt. So it's, it is disappointing. I agree. And you talk about parity. You're talking about parity of things with Android phones at this point. There's not parity between iPhone users in different countries. Having it be a service level thing for like the auto transcription of voicemails and things like that that came out in this version of iOS, we don't have in the UK. I think the only people that have this are the Americans. This doesn't seem very fair to me. Why make it so hard for other operators to roll out one of your tentpole features across the world? That is a major technical advantage they could have. And let's face it, Modern Android phones do this anyway because their AI is really, really good at doing transcriptions of voice stuff. Google works better for, okay, your OK Google thing is better than your Hey Dingus that you get on a phone, on an iPhone. So I I think there's a lot of loops to be closed here for Apple. They've got a bit, they're so distracted, it seems to me, doing the Vision Pro that once again, they're taking their eye off lots of balls doing this. I think that is a problem. They're running so many OSs that they're not keeping them all up to date or modernizing them um, and there's still bugs in them so this is a problem for them. all these os's and all these extra different browsers on every platform as well <laughs> yeah that's a good tie back to that story sticking with the messaging piece at the moment there was a lot of fanfare just at the end of last week about a company called nothing so nothing or an android phone maker they're a cheeky startup who's sort of trying to muscle way into the market i gotta say i quite like the aesthetic of the phones they're very clean they've got this nice thing on the back where you can program lights and led strips on them to ring in a certain way or pulse in a certain way and whatever you want to do and they've sort of really cleaned out a lot of the cruft for android they're sort of quite well regarded in the way oneplus used to be so they've got good market penetration in the eu and a little bit in the uk but almost nothing in america for the very reason that we've been talking about up till now in that the green bubble friends are a problem and nothing realizes that no matter how good your Android is, people have got green bubble friends and, and this is an issue for them. So they released a feature at the weekend where they were going to allow iMessages. You could sign into iMessage on your nothing phone and be a blue bubble friend. Your iPhone friends would be none the wiser. So that was fascinating. Did you see the story before I go on? No, um, I did see it when it came out, but I've gone back and read it since you put it in the show notes. I mean, it's quite amazing. And you think on one level, wow, that, what a great idea. That gets you differentiation. If the major problem is embarrassment, that your your, Android, your iPhone-owning friends are worried you're a green bubble person, this gets you over that. 
to be really clear, it's already been pulled. Because what happens in the background is you give your in-the-clear Apple account credentials to nothing or whoever's actually hosting this service for them. It's some services in beta that's doing it. And they enter that into a Mac Mini sitting in a rack somewhere in a server room. So your in-the-clear credentials are sitting there. And they promise nobody's ever going to look at it and all the rest of it. But you've just given your iCloud account details, which you may have created just for the purpose of this phone, to sit in a Mac Mini in a server room somewhere in America or China or wherever that Mac, Mac, Mini, Mac Mini is sitting. I can't think that's a really very good idea. It's not a good idea. And sure, that can't be a scalable solution. Oh, it's just not one part of it sounds any good. But it does answer their problem, doesn't it? I don't know. Could you? Run, I don't even know if you can sign into iCloud in a virtual machine. One Mac Mini could run five virtual machines, six virtual machines. They don't need a lot of memory. They all need to run OS ten. There's an infrastructure scaling issue here, isn't there? Ignoring this privacy and security horrors around something like this. The scaling of this, just to get one feature running, seems off the charts to me. Yeah, it all just sounds very janky. And I was reading one article that you've linked to. I think they they did a conference a year ago, last December, and they didn't take any questions and they just hung up the call at the end and it was just, and it was going to be announced and then obviously nothing ever happened. It, it, none of it seems good. Like the way you've explained the technical side of it, the way they've presented it to the public, I wouldn't want to go anywhere near this. Yeah, it's I, it's it's not a good look. At the same time, I give them credit for their cojones, he said, keeping the clean tag, to, to try and do something like this. Yeah, they're trying to do something, I get it, but it just feels like the solution they've come up with isn't isn't the, the right solution. Yeah, there's, there's just so much wrong with it. Anyway, I thought it was an interesting story, and interestingly it's been pulled off the play store by google so they had some issues with it too yeah i don't think any part of this was right hence why it's probably all been pulled like you say yeah anyway interesting story anything else for the main show no i don't think so i'm just going to carry on texting people in the messages app and be quite happy that i don't have to check five other apps i barely use linkedin messenger i try and avoid email so texting works for me what can i say if it works for you, why change it? Let's move on very quickly. I'm going to do an app of the week. Uh, my app of the week this week is called Bridges. It's a bookmarking of uh, URLs app. I had been doing all my collecting the notes for the or collecting the links for the show notes uh, for this show into uh, Notion. It's fine, but it's a bit clunky. I've got a work Notion and a personal Notion, and it was beginning to get a bit messy with links I wanted to keep and things that were just for the show. And occasionally, I'd post into my work Notion rather than the personal one. Long story short, this was posted on Mastodon by the writer of the app uh, last week. It's a $3.99 app on the App Store and another $3.99 for the Mac, but it works beautifully. It goes into the share sheet, you can position it where you want. You save the link from whatever app you want to save it from, and it will give you that uh, link as HTML, as Markdown, as JSON, whatever you want to. It's just a beautiful, clean little app, and I've done the show notes with it this week. Yeah, I quite like the look of this. I saw you put it in the show notes. I'm probably going to go and grab this for what is 3.99 i just want it on my iphone and my ipad so that would be perfect for me and it syncs really quickly it's very effective i'm a big fan yeah no it looks 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 a nice nice app because i've never i don't think i've ever really had a good way of dealing with just links for stuff i want to read later or links that are interesting that i might want to keep for a project or you know something like that and i end up with just a folder in safari and a bit of a junk drawer so no i quite like the look at this i'm going to check that out this is better. It's, it's, in my case, eight quid well spent. Yeah, I can see that. And it's not a lot of money, is it? 
It's not for, and you're supporting an independent developer, you know, and I like that too. Yep, no, I'm very happy to throw him the four pounds that I would want. And like I said, if I actually used it and use my Mac on it, then I will buy it for the Mac too. Nice. App of the, uh, sorry, thing of the week. Thing of the week. I've gone for the killer film because like I say, I love a Fincher film. And I was quite excited because as we came into the winter, we had Chris Van Nolan film with Oppenheimer. I've had The Killer by David Fincher. We've got Ferrari coming with Michael Mann, which I've heard some spurious things around. And we've got Ridley Scott, haven't we, with... Napoleon. Napoleon, thank you. So we've got some great directors there. Oh, and we've got Martin Scorsese with Killers and... Killers of the Flower Moon. Of the Flower Moon. So loads of good films, loads of good directors. So yeah, it's great, great. And I've really enjoyed Oppenheimer. I've really enjoyed The Killer for different reasons, but still done by directors I like. So yeah, I would recommend it if you've got some time, go and watch it. It's probably just as well you haven't seen things like Pacific Rim and The Witcher because with the big gap we're going to have after the SAG-AFTA strikes and the screenwriter strikes, there's going to be no media for a while. So you'll have plenty of time to catch up on some of this great quality stuff that you've missed. I am more than acutely aware there's loads of stuff I've never seen. And I watch quite a bit of, of films. I don't watch so many TV shows because I get cheesed off with the commitment that, that they take. But I do love a good film. And I think that's why I enjoyed The Killer, because I haven't watched a new film since Oppenheim, and it was nice sit on the couch, turn off the lights, and watch a film. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, and that was two hours, flew by. Re- I got yeah really engrossed into it. And I do like a Fincher film, like I say. So, yeah, and I kind of want to go back and watch some of his other films that I've already seen. Fair enough. I think we can call that a show. Yeah, I think so. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, if you want to get in contact, Rod is at g5maniac at maston.scott. I'm at underscore CJP at Marston.social or you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rob. Mm-hmm.